This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to a very quiet Love Tennis podcast. There are no loud noises, there are no bright lights. We're just taking things a little bit easy um, because we're all feeling a bit delicate, or at least I am. Uh, we are recording this the day after the Wimbledon final, um, some six hours later than planned due to hangovers. Um, well, one hangover specifically. Uh, so uh, I'm joined as always by George Belshaw of Metro.co.uk. George, how are you? I'm pretty good. I it, to clarify, it wasn't my hangover that caused the delay. Um, although I am quite grateful we're recording this now rather than at the original planned eleven thirty because I was not in a great way then. But I've been out, played squash, played tennis on Calvin's favourite surface, and uh, have now come come back feeling pretty fre- fit as a fiddle, which is amazing. I felt dreadful yes. this morning. And the man who loves artificial clay more than anything is, of course, Calvin Betton. Calvin, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Fine. Um, yeah, Did you enjoy there, last yeah. night? Sorry? Did you enjoy last night? Um, I, I was actually, as, as I expressed last week, I'm not a big, huge fan of international football, but I was I was a bit gutted when they lost, yeah. Um, mm. And really felt for the lads who missed the penalties. Um, yeah. It was rough. It was a strange one, wasn't it? Especially seen as like, I really thought that they were going to do it when Harry Maguire took maybe the best penalty I've ever seen. I would agree with that. I was, all all six of us watching it here were convinced it was going over the bar that he was just going to hit it over yeah. the bar and then he just roofs it and yeah I thought I thought things were changing George I was just going to say the, the only moment the entire tournament I thought we were actually going to win it was when Jorginho missed I thought at that point yeah. oh my god we're the luckiest team of all time we're going to we're going to bloody do it and it was strange wasn't it though because I don't know whether everyone else was the same but when that happened it, I thought we were back on level terms, and then it then it struck me, oh shit, Saka's got a score yeah, as yeah. well. It, it felt like we were back at, on on level terms at that stage, and we'd have another one to go in the lead, and they'd have to. I'd kind of forgot the whole running order. <laughs> you forgot how penalties work. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I forgot largely how the human body works at times last night. So, um, but this is the Love Tennis podcast, not the Love Hangover podcast or Love Football podcast, in fact. Um, and we should look back at what's been a, a pretty remarkable couple of weeks of tennis. Um, Novak Djokovic is the Wimbledon champion again. Uh, the seventh final, his sixth title, his 20th Grand Slam title. I mean, the records, it's kind of become a bit tedious. His encore interviews now just become a sort of list of records that he's broken that day. Uh, he came from behind, he lost the first set to Matteo Berrettini um, and then uh, triumphed 6-7, Djokovic is surely the GOAT now, George. Yeah, I mean, I think me and Calvin have pretty agreed on this for a while. He's comfortably the best player I've ever seen. Um, he's going to, and I think he'll comfortably go past Margaret Court and Serena, like, there was a question in his post-match uh, press conference where it was like, do you think you can get to 30? And like, you know, that's a ludicrous question when that's 10 away, but doesn't feel that ludicrous a kind of scenario right now. Um, yeah, I think the thing that really impressed me about him again yesterday was he was actually pretty poor for large points of that match. He felt really, really nervous on court. I, I think I counted at least four second serves that were around 74 to 78 mile an hour, which is crazy slow um, for guys at the very top level. Um, and, he, you know, he just, he, he looks so poor. And then just when he needed it, bang, turns the switch on, pulls Beresini's pants down. And, and let's be honest, if he'd played well, he probably would have won that match two, two and two. Like he mm. had chances to win every single set way more comfortably. Um, so he dug himself into a bit of a hole, was a bit of nerves, which perhaps perhaps opens the door that he might feel that again in the US Open. You, you know, remember when Serena was going for the calendar slam and she lost to an Italian and it was an all-Italian final, even though it had been like the most bought-out US Open final because it was meant to be Serena's moment. Um, <laughs> that is the one kind of interesting caveat, I'd say. But um, yeah, I mean, the guy's, guy's unreal. Uh, Calvin, George and I were sat next to each other on centre watching it and there were like a couple of returns of this Berrettini serve when we just went, wow. Like how, not just like, how has he got a racket on that? How has he got a strike on that? And how is it landing on the baseline every time? I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, I think people underrate, well, people don't underrate the returner. I think we know he's the greatest returner of all time, but people underrate returning as a skill. Yeah, it's always the, the first time I remember when I, uh, one of the players I coached practice with, Andy Murray, the first time I'd seen him in person was, I mean, his ball striking was phenomenal anyway, but what, what will always stick with me is that um, when the lad who I coach was warming serves up and Andy hit about 15 returns in a row, all to within about an inch of the baseline, um, that just the, the, the phenomenal level of consistency and be able to do it. And, and Murray's up there with the best returners of all time as well. Um, so, but Djokovic, yeah, for sure. The only thing I'd say on the on the the, the greatest of all time thing, and I go back and forth. This, I, I think it probably is Djokovic, but I think you have to separate it in terms of like in in terms of who is the best ever at putting the ball between the lines strictly on the rules of tennis, and that is Djokovic, I think. But I think in all sports, when you talk about the greatest of all time, you have to also have an element of who transcends the sport as well. And I think he's a bit. He, he's never really done that. He's never really done the the thing of bringing outsiders into the sport like Roger Federer did. He's never had the element of people really wanting to go and watch him. And I always use, use like the O2 test on this. If he was playing at the O2 tomorrow night, would he sell it out? I don't actually think he would. 
mm. in terms of people in London who just want to go and watch him play anyone. I think the the really interesting thing that kind of ties both those points you just made together, like on the on the return aspect, I don't think you understand on television. It doesn't it doesn't make you, you never watch it on TV thinking, wow, that was amazing and quick serve. The, the speed doesn't transfer, but in flesh on the court, I, I'm sitting there marveling at this guy, which I don't actually do that often. I, I think Federer is glorious, like the way he plays is so natural and brilliant. But I don't look at him and think that guy's just broken the laws of physics. I think, you know, sometimes I don't think Djokovic has necessarily been sold well enough to the wider public in, in kind of like strictest terms. Like you need to go and see this thing in the flesh. It's amazing. It's like a circus act at points. Like it's not just the return. It's how he's stretching to get points. You know, there's that one against Shapovalov in the semis. Dreadful forehand miss. Don't get me wrong. That point should have been over three shots ago there. You know, it was absolutely unbelievable that he puts people in these positions. And I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of popularity chat in tennis and transcending and, you know, the media plays a part in that as well. And, you know, there are times when Novak, notably last year, was not particularly a great advert for the sport. Um, but on the court, I just think it's an absolute phenomenal. It was that point, uh, I think it was 2-3 in the fourth set. I think it was 15 all. And Berrettini pinged a huge forehand, you know, inside out into the backhand corner. And, and Djokovic had no right to even get a reframe on it. And he, he got it back. And then Berrettini dropped the shot to the opposite side of the court, the opposite corner. And Djokovic ran it down and angled it across him. And, and I turned to you and I just said, that's that. Like, that's the game. Because not, not as in that's the game, as in that's the whole shooting match. Because Berrettini, you know, there was a, the biggest roar of the day. And it, it's worth noting that Djokovic had a real two and forth with the crowd on this one. Like, obviously, they were backing Berrettini. Like, it's inevitable. He's the underdog. He's a popular guy. He's the Queen's champion. He's gorgeous. Yeah, and he's a great-looking lad. <laughs> it should be noted. Without consensus. Yeah. And he, he, you know, Djokovic wasn't getting a lot of support. And he was annoyed about it, frankly. And then the, the chant of Matteo rang around while he was trying to get ready to serve. And he had to wait. And he made this, I, I said to you, George, at the time, I said, how do I describe that look? And it was sort of, okay, yeah, that's how it's going to be. Right. All right. Well, I guess I'll just have to win then. <laughs> and, and, and of course, that's exactly what he did. I, I think the weird thing that always cracks me up about that, I was saying this to my dad yesterday when we were talking about it, was that it always makes out that that's like made him really angry. But like, he, he loves that shit. Like he's not like he's like he likes nothing more than that. If he's not getting the full crowd, like who absolutely love him, which he only ever gets in Belgrade anyway, the mm. second best option for him is that they love the other guy. Yeah, it just, it just riles him. So uh, I don't buy this whole thing that like that that, that he hates it and like always winds always cracks me up when like him and his fans are, like they don't seem to understand why they want the other guy to win. Those tickets on centre for a pair yesterday were five hundred quid. Right. No one wants to go and watch Novak Djokovic beat, beat Matteo Berrettini 2-1-1, one and one, yeah. like for 500 quid. It's like that. That's why they're cheering. And if it would have gone to a fifth, I think it would probably would have been 50-50. They just wanted the match to go on as long as possible. That's all they want. Yeah. And, and, and that's the exact opposite of what we wanted, because, of course, the football was kicking off at 8 o'clock. <laughs> I wanted to get home for it. I didn't much care who won, just as long as it was in straight sets. Um, it was a good indication yesterday, I think, on the match after on the mixed doubles, like of the people who really don't like football or, or really like tennis. 
because yeah. there were about maybe a hundred people watching the mixed doubles, uh, uh, which was still going on when the football was on. Yeah, and that was an all-British match as well. We should yeah. be highlighted, like you know, there was going to be a British winner in that, which normally would keep a decent portion of people sticking around, but uh, no, not yesterday. No, um, George. He mentioned afterwards Novak about Tokyo and the Olympics. He's always been nailed on for the Olympics because of the Golden Slam and things. Um, but he admitted yesterday that he was now 50-50 because of all the restrictions. He can't take his stringer, which apparently is a big deal. Um, uh, it looks like I think he's not going to go now. I, I'm pretty torn on what he's going to do. I, I, I can't honestly believe this guy would look back at the end of his career and think, oh man, I would have done a Golden Slam if I'd have just gone to this Olympics. Like, mm. I know the restrictions are hard. I think if you take a step back and think about at the end of your career, things you're going to look back on and think, man, that was something seriously amazing. I did. No other guy has ever done this. You know, Steffi Graf's done it. No other man has done it. I, I just can't believe from that standpoint you want to go. I mean, don't get me wrong. Olympic sounds absolutely terrible. We know a few journalists who are going and I'm like, I don't think there's anything I'd ever want to go to less, even though I'm desperate to go to Japan at some point in my life. Those sounds like a great place. Um, but this just the restrictions, the lack of crowd and lack of people coming in. I mean, that's why Federer will 100% pull out. There's no question in my mind he won't be there, even though he's yeah. technically still on the roster. It'd be interesting to see if Murray still goes. I, th I think he will, particularly because he got a wild card to go. I think. There's a little more pressure on him. Naomi Osaka will go, I'm certain, from a sponsorship yeah. perspective. But everyone else in there now, it, it's going to be 50-50 for a lot of them, I think. Yeah. Um, There's going to be a sort of cutoff point, isn't there, where you know it's probably about 40 in the world, where below that, these guys are like, hang on, I could, I could nick an Olympic medal here, and that's a real opportunity for me and a real... But above that, it's like, it's just not worth it. Yeah, I was thinking um, about Norrie, didn't we? I mean, yeah. you know, if I was Cam Norrie, third most wins on the tour, knowing that the guys who beat me or have been beating me this year are all pretty much pulling out, I, I'd be going because you're not going to win a bigger title. Than that. You're not going to win a title close to that. Let's be honest. Norrie might not win an ATP title, but you'll never get a better chance than to win something huge that you remember for the rest of your life. I mean... Mm. But then the flip side, the flip side is he's in such good form. There's a US yeah. Open to think about. It's probably his best chance at going deep in a slam. And this year. Points, money, you know, that is it's totally fair. But I, I don't know. We we probably see it differently because we're not professional sports people and athletes. And we've said before, like, is the Olympics the most important thing in tennis? I think for someone middle ranked, it's your best chance to win something absolutely amazing. For someone like Federer. I think he did. I think he genuinely really, really wanted to win it. But this one, I, I just don't think he'll find. No. Won't think it's worth it. Calvin, have you ever been into tennis at the Olympics? I watch it when it's on. And I remember the one that Agassi won because I was a big Agassi fan. And I think Agassi won it in um, Atlanta mm. um, in 96. And I enjoyed that. Um, as I said the other week, I don't think it should be in the Olympics purely because it's the only sport that has, I think that and golf, the only sport that are actually continuing to go on while the Olympics is on. Yeah. Nothing else really does. I guess football does in some parts of the world. Um, but I can't, the, the Olympics, I think they're, they're specifically for sports and they're, they're a little bit, um, 
the Olympic sports over here are a little bit uh, uppity about sports such as tennis. I've sort of quick story that when I was doing my level five coaching qualification, we had to go into and watch how they coach another sport. And I live pretty near the English Institute of Sport in Sheffield. So I went in there and, and asked if there's any chance that I could go and watch them for a couple of days on how they coach. And I was pretty quickly dismissed as, no, we only like to help out other Olympic sports. Mm. And I said, tennis is. And they were like, yeah, not really, though. <laughs> and that was it. So, um, so I think I probably think about tennis on the Olympics as much as other sports think about tennis on the Olympics, uh, <laughs> if I'm honest. I think... The, the other thing that Novak kind of touched upon is I think for a lot of athletes, it's obviously like a really, really uh, lively occasion, shall we say, where they all go into this massive village. And he was talking about from a more professional standpoint that you get the chance to go watch people. You know, I know people like love to go and watch like Usain Bolt, for example, you know, someone up close who for tennis players, it's kind of hard to go and watch other athletes because you're playing 12, you know, 11 months of the year. Um, so I, I, that side of it has been removed, but, I don't know. It's so difficult to judge, isn't it, this one? Like, I, I feel the real... I think as well, it's like just how the sport operates as well, in that, like, the other sports, they don't get that... To, they don't get to compete against the other best in the world. Mm. While they're peaking, there's a big thing about peaking in Olympic sports, like peaking for that once every four years. They don't get to do that except for the Olympics, whereas tennis is a competition. It's no different from any other tournament, like, that they play 30 weeks of the year. It's best of three, and then it goes to best of five in the final, is it? Or semis? Um, but other than that, it's there's nothing about the Olympics that is different from any other tournament that they play in. And same with golf, again. Do you, do you think Murray would swap his two Olympic goals for two Grand Slam wins? I think he'd definitely swap one of them for one more Slam win. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great on the fence answer. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> but that, I mean, I suppose it's different, isn't it? Because his Olympic gold medal in London 2012 was was such a big moment for him in terms of belief and I think what it did for his career um, in, in the UK. But like, going back to Novak, I mean, I don't think there was a more painful loss in Novak's career than Rio to Del Potro. Like, I've never seen him walk off court in tears like that before. Like, that really hit him. I, I think th this is why I'm still a bit like, I'm certain this guy's going to go to a degree. I'm obviously not certain. I'll go back and forth. But I think he's spoken about really wanting this. He went to Tokyo in 2019 in the world before the pandemic to go get ready to win this. This has been his huge goal for like three years to win this. And now he's got the whole golden slam to go with it. I think, I think it's a lot for him to give up. I, I think I, I do think if, if I was in that situation, as much as I don't really agree with it, I probably would go if I was Novak, just because you can get you can get that sort of thing on the record book. But again, it's just is it even a proper Olympics? It's going to be pretty mm. grim. It's basically going to be a load of people playing some weird sports in empty <laughs> industrial hangars, yeah. isn't it? I mean, be... I love the Olympics. Like, oh. I, it's one of my, my, I absolutely love it. And I'm not looking forward to it for that exact reason. Like, yeah. it, just, it just won't be the same in those, those empty stadia. Um, let's move on and talk a bit about Matteo Berrettini because he handled himself extremely well over the last couple of weeks. Uh, obviously winning at Queen's, getting through to the final, his first Grand Slam final. Uh, how do we think he handled the occasion, Georgia? I, I thought, personally, he, he didn't look too nervy. Yeah, I thought the start, he wasn't necessarily that great but once he 
kind of fell behind that breakdown in the first set. He, he kind of got into his rhythm, got into his flow. Um, you know, I think the question I'd asked in my preview of that final was how good's he actually been this year? Will that back end actually stand up? Has he, you know, he's only beaten one top 10 player all year who was Dominic Team, so that doesn't really count. And it was at the ATP Cup, which is where Dominic Team is actively the worst, even in a year where he's not terrible. Um, so, you know, and he, I think in his entire grass court run before the final, he did, I think Hercats was the best player he played and he's yeah, won, world number 18. Like, hey, he came in in good form. Semi-finalist is always going to be tough, but you, you take Hubert Hercats as a semi-finalist at a grand slam. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, he did, he did about as well as I've, expected i predicted him to lose in four i think if Djokovic would play better he could have won that two two and two um but berrettini for what he's got and the limitations he's got uh he did really well and i think the good thing for berrettini is he is improving a lot like he's someone i'm noticing the improvement the slice backhand is good that's a good shot um it's hard to keep hitting that for hours straight against novak who's just peppering it peppering it peppering it but against most players it's it's going to be fine um, so I, I think he has now convinced me he will win a slam and Wimbledon probably is his best chance. Um, so, yeah, good on him. He's done well. Calvin, do you agree with that? He will win a slam? I thought so yesterday, yeah. I, I don't know if he will. It wouldn't surprise me if he will, though. Um, it's difficult to tell. I think a mate asked me the last week um, what I thought his ceiling was. And I said, I thought, he's I thought he could win a slam and I thought he he could maybe make top top three in the world but at the same time I, I get the feeling he's got to do that in the next 18 months because I think mm. then some more might come without his limitations he still has he still has this real issue on his backhand it's not a good shot he's not great at the net um, but he does have probably two of the biggest weapon two of the top five biggest weapons in tennis not two of the top ten biggest weapons in tennis and he's serving his forehand um, he's similar in in how he plays in that sort of dynamic to Andy Roddick, I think. You know, this huge serve, huge forehand, pretty average backhand, and pretty bad volleys. Yeah. Um, but I, what I've been really impressed with Berrettini in this week and this year is when I think when he made the semi of the U.S. Open a couple of years ago, he kind of looked like a bit of a joker. But he's got this real steel in his eyes now, where he's, he's yeah. serious and. When he won that semi-final, there were other people this week who were winning matches and celebrating like they'd won the tournament. And Berrettini won his semi and there was nothing. It was a fist fist pump to his chest, looking at his fans and, and on with it. And it made me think that he, he, he might have a chance in the final. Yeah, I, I like again, I was kind of going to go on to that and just say that I liked him saying, you know, I was I'm pissed to lose this. Like, I think I could, yeah. could have won it. Like you said, I know I didn't play as well as I could. Appreciated, okay, Novak probably made me play badly. That's kind of what he does. Um, but I, I think that's a good good reaction. Uh, in terms of player comparisons, I, I've been jokingly saying he's a, a much better Kyle Edmund with a better slice backhand. That's kind of jokey assessment of him. Um, <laughs> bigger, bigger game. But, um, but yeah, no, I think it's positive. And it's another, it's another face on the tour, isn't it? I think people at Wimbledon will like him. He's very good looking. I think the same for Chapeau, really. Like, I thought he had a really good tournament for the future of tennis. It's good to have seen these new guys who maybe aren't so well-known, who have interesting game styles, different game styles uh, coming through. So, I, I think it was a great tournament on that front. 
I think just just a quick word for her, the first game yesterday, which might be the worst first game in Grand Slam history. Um, it started off, I remember the first four points were double fault, yeah. return halfway up the net, yeah. um, backhand halfway up the net, double fault. It was double fault net. Yeah, they were the first four points. And I was like, <laughs> this, this is terrible standard of tennis so far. And I don't think it got much better after that in the first game. But um, but after that, yeah, it was decent. Novak looked legitimately nervous. I mean, you know, and I think he said he was nervous. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops. Um, you mentioned Denis Shapovalov there. I mean, like Berrettini, he's been extraordinarily popular, uh, I think, because he's a good-looking guy. He's fun. He talks a good game. He's got a one-handed backhand and everyone seems to get behind him. Um, his ceiling is lower than, than Berrettini's though, isn't it, George? No. Do you not think? No. I, I, I think his big problem is um, he makes the wrong decision in the wrong moment, but his game is, is good enough. Yeah, definitely. There's no question in my mind his game's good enough. Like, it's, it's a really, he's a great watch, but it's, you know, he was taking Novak out a lot, like a lot more than Berrettini was, really. Um, and it was just the odd brain fart in the big moment that kind of stopped him winning a set. But again, I like the response from him when he loses that match. Like, I, I like the tears on court. I like him coming in saying, I'm, I understand now I can do this. I, I'm motivated to do this. And he remember, he's 22. You know, Berrettini's 25. Um, I think Shapovalov, is a much better all-round player. The big question is, can he fix the big problem, which is those decisions in the wrong moment? And Calvin will probably say, no, I think he can. I think he'll win Wimbledon. And I I would back him to win maybe two, two or three. I think a Berrettini, I see, is a one-time winner. I think Chapeau could win up to three, would be my prediction. I wouldn't massively disagree, actually. I, I do think, though, that he his decision-making is terrible. Like it's horrendous, and and I said to a mate, texts me about his, I don't know whether his quarter or oh, it was his semi against Djokovic, and he's like, does he have a chance? And I was like, yeah, because he's got great shots, but I guarantee you that there'll be a moment in the match, and I'm not saying this in hindsight. I said this before. It's like there'll be a moment in the match where he has a a, a huge chance, and he does something so idiotic it's beyond all compare, and he did. Um, and he does it. He even did it in the sem in the quarterfinal. He ended up winning it, but he had a chance again. There was one shot he played against Hatchinov where I think he had like break point in the fourth or something. And he d- tries this like inside out backhand from the backhand side to break through the sideline first. And I'm like, what are your percentages of ever making that shot? It, it, it's ludicrous, but and I don't think I sometimes, and as a tennis coach, people get on at me for saying this, but I do think tennis coaches are somewhat overrated. But <laughs> I think what he really needs is a proper tennis coach. He needs a proper coach who can drill down with him about this sort of the lack of any sort of tactical planning in his game and lack of complete decision making. He feels like somebody who's he feels like somebody who's got as far as he has purely on talent and not through having to think about it or anything. Yeah. I there was another point I remember as well in his forehand where he basically just needed to pass the guy cross court than that. The guy had like covered the line. I mean he tried like to banana curve it round him yeah. net and you're just like, dearie me. Like and it's always in big moments. That's kind of the problem. And that is kind of what the worry is. But 
I, I, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can iron that out. I, I, I think yeah, we're on the same page on this one. He's he's strange one in that though, in that like players who are like that, they tend to be players like Kyrgios, who there's real questions about their attitude and that kind of thing. Whereas he's not, his attitude is bang on. And I saw him firsthand last week. He's a worker. Yep. He gets down with it. He's he's he's, he's, he's doing his, his work sort of properly. He's he's serious. He just seems to have these brain farts of at the worst times. And sometimes it's decision making. Sometimes it's sometimes it's not decision making. Sometimes it's just like the forehand he missed wasn't a bad decision. Just how is he missing that against against Djokovic? It's the right shot. Just just a ridiculous like missed it by a mile. And I've seen him miss like shocking volleys like he'll have a volley to win to break and puts them like eight foot long and things like that and he can volley as well like yeah. just kind of like that volley here against Murray was one of the, up there with like yeah. the shots of the tournament that was unbelievable he can clearly do it I mean there's, there's really little he can't do really the, no. you know hit a two handed backhand I don't know maybe he can but um, I I boringly go on that I one of my favourite shots in tennis is his defensive one-handed backhand. Like the way he jumps into that deep is just it's an amazing shot. And like Sissipas is poor at it. Federer could never do that. Federer would always slice in that situation, but he can take that ball up high on the rise, jump it. I mean, it's, a, it's a great shot. Like I don't think I've seen a one-handed backhand that good in that position in tennis. Full stop. Mm. Um, just a word for the other semi-finalist, Hubert Hercats. Um, I don't think any of us saw him in the semi-finals this year, uh, in any tournament, perhaps. Uh, are you trying to claim that you might have predicted it, George? Well, I was just going to say, did, did anyone pick him in fantasy? No, no one picked him. Who picked Pliskova? Either, no one? No, no one picked Pliskova or Hercats. So good to know that you all know loads about tennis, lads. Um, but, I mean... I was a little bit disappointed in Hercats, having done what he did to Roger Federer, and I know Federer wasn't there, but beating Federer at Wimbledon, even if he's only got one leg, is, is still an achievement. And I, I felt like he was a, just a bit wet in the semi-final. Yeah, he was. And like, don't forget, actually, uh, his win over Medvedev the round before. Like, mm. a big win. Like, um, you know, Roger would have probably been thinking, oh, man, that's a serious favour for me, for Medvedev to be losing that match. Um, yeah. And didn't turn out that I, I was really impressed by certain aspects of his game. I thought again his net play was pretty good. So the serving was pretty good. Uh, the backhand's a good shot. Like it's a, people compare it to Murray's. It's like a really good shot. Um, I, I still I still actually feel kind of positive for him in terms of obviously he won Miami this year. That was a good good title. Then he's been terrible. Like he's been losing all the time since. Yeah. Um, and I kind of think he's a bit of a, maybe like a Chilich, like he can put two weeks together quite well. I think that's what I'd say. I think he's going to blow hot and cold. I don't see him being as consistently good as Murray, even though that, that's the player people are trying to compare him to style-wise. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't be that surprised if he did win one Like in the future. We've said it a million times that there's going to be a lot more opportunities to win one uh, at random points in his career. And, can't really complain about a first semi-final. So, positive, but I'm not as optimistic about him winning a slam as Chapeau and probably, I'd say, similar for Berrettini. I could probably say they can both win one, but they mm. might not. Yeah. 
Um, he's also a, a very popular guy, as far as I know. Uh, yeah. Other players very speak popular. very highly of him. He seems seems to be a a good bloke, which uh, yeah, we can always do with more of on the tour. Uh, we should talk about the women's final as well. Uh, Ashley Barty winning her first Wimbledon in what was a pretty good match by all accounts, uh, up against Carolina Pliskova, who still hasn't won a Grand Slam, of course. Uh, George, you know you you're obviously on site for this one. I had the day off. Um, how impressed were you with what Barty did in the final? Uh, if at uh, all. Yeah, well, hmm, kind of not as impressed as I had been all the tournament. I'm like, obviously amazing to win it, but I thought she let Pliskova into the match. Pliskova, by the way, ton of credit. I thought that was going the same way as Rome after losing the first 14 points. I thought that golden set was genuinely a serious possibility. Um, and she she came in and she fought, but yeah, I, I thought Barty was pretty nervous, um, pretty worried. She's got, I mean, great game, great backhand slice, um, good serve, although it didn't work that well in the final. But she, I think she admitted again, she was kind of nervous, and I, I, again, I kind of thought she should have won it in two, but Pliskova kind of made a match of it. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it though. I thought it was a really good final. Like it was, both finals were enjoyable, but the, this mm. one was uh, probably marginally better. Marginally. Oh, and I know you were um, a little bit disappointed with that final, weren't you? I thought the women's tournament overall was pretty bad, um, yeah. if I'm honest. And as well, also, I was on an LTA coach's Zoom this morning and spoke about the same thing there. I think I watched a little bit of the girls, and I think the girls was also pretty bad. Um, but more so the women's tournament. And I, I just felt it was like, I said the same thing this morning that I kind of thought we were moving on from this state where we're at now, where like that you're just getting sort of random finals and we keep, we seem to say this most, most tournaments, but there's this group of stars in the women's game where you just hope we're going to break through. And I know Barty won it and she's one of them, but like the semis I thought were pretty bad. And I thought that the final was all right in the middle, but at the beginning up until a set and four one, I thought it was a pretty disgraceful performance from uh, Kvitova. Um, Let's go. Unacceptable, really. And then at the end, it was like, yeah, I, I, I just thought, yeah, it's, it's got to be better than that, really. I think, yeah, I mean, it, I by a better match, I kind of meant like, I felt like there was a possibility both of them could win it. I'd never really got that thought in the men's one, which yeah, kind, yeah. Of, kind of always, like, the quality was better at its peak in the men's one. But in terms of it, like being a match, I thought it was uh, better. I, I mean, I wrote in like a follow-up piece today, uh, like a kind of one of these four-point pieces about things, throwing it forward, et cetera. And that's one of the things I said about that. Like Barty is an obvious star. Osaka is an obvious star. Goff's an obvious star. You know, Sviontek should be a star. These guys, they need to all start playing well at the same slam. And Andrescu as well. Start meeting in semi-finals, and they all need to start developing a rivalry because at the minute, it's there's no there's no storyline when you're getting there. Like there's their player storyline, but there's no sport storyline. There's no rivalry. Yeah. They're not playing each other. It, it needs to start pretty soon because, as you say, it's a pretty good crop of players. Not only in terms of um, 
you know, they're all good, but it's they're all very different. They've got good styles that should match up and make it quite watchable matches as well. Like a Saka Barty on a grass court is a very different match to Saka Barty on a hard court now. I think it'd, it'd be good to see them on all of these surfaces. Um, it didn't help as Saka didn't play, obviously, um, in this one. But that that's something the women's game really needs going forward is these uh, special rivalries as well. I think it's in, in the style that they play as well. Like even in Radicanu's matches, like there's no real tactics or, or patterns or anything. It's basically we have this thing what in coaching we call rally threshold, which is being able to sort of withhold what your opponent is sending at you and still send your full-paced ball back. And it's just kind of that. It, it's like they're, they're just Barty's a little bit different, but especially the Sabalenka-Pliskova match, it's like they just started, they both just absolutely leathered the ball and eventually one of them wouldn't be able to withstand what the other one, other one had sent and they'd either hit one out or their shot would break down. And there was no sort of mix-up or anything in it and it just looked like a bit, like that match I just thought was was bad. Yeah, I, I, it, it reminded me a little, obviously not as long, but it was a kind of an indecent, isn't there Anderson one wasn't it, in terms of just yeah. the most aces you've ever seen in a women's match at Wimbledon it had that kind of feel obviously like you're on the court thinking wow some amazing power and ball striking but you know I think this is the thing about the other players who I kind of mentioned before that it's a lot more variety in like an Andrescu to compared to these players and Sabalenka I like watching her when she's playing someone with a, a more uh Diverse style, shall we say, or variety to the game. And I think that's the shame. We need to just get these girls who all have all the weapons playing each other a little bit more. That's that's my main grumble about this tournament. But it's still great for Barty and great tournament for her. I, I said it to um, one of our colleagues in the in the press room after uh, who I saw on Sunday. And I said, oh, I'm pleased for Barty because, you know, she's a nice person and she works hard and is a good player. And hopefully people know who she is now. I genuinely think that there are a lot of people in the UK, for example, who don't know who Ash Barty is. And she's the world number one. But you've got to be winning slams and competing in slams consistently to make that work. Yeah. And like, it's a really important point because like, okay, I know there's been a lot of chat about her pandemic number one and whatever, but she's been number one now for like two years. And this year particularly, she's been pretty dominant and brilliant. Um, and it's great it, at Wimbledon's the one to do it if you're going to have your big breakout. But still, I'd say, you know, no one knows her compared to Nasaka. Even a Coco Goff probably is still better known to your average Britain, I would say, mm. quite comfortably. 100%. 100%. I mean, you know, it, it, it takes a long time to penetrate and, the public consciousness, clearly. But and yeah. Radicanu now, like, Radicanu's yeah. genuinely probably the third best known. Player, well, fourth if you still include, sorry, fifth if you still include Serena and Venus. But yeah. if you have to name five female tennis players now, it'd be Naomi Osaka, Goff, Venus, Serena, and Raducanu yeah. already. Um, it, it, we've mentioned her a couple of times now. Emma Raducanu is one of the great stories of um, Wimbledon 2021. Uh, she made it to the fourth round on her Grand Slam main draw debut after a wild card entry. Uh, she lost to Ayla Tomljanovic. Uh, she retired injured um, with breathing difficulties, essentially, but a kind of result of, uh, it was kind of a, fi- a best way to describe it, I think, is a physiological reaction 
to a physically and mentally stressful situation, which sounds a bit like bollocks, but I think it kind of sums up this kind of large group of symptoms that she had. I mean, Calvin, I don't know if you've ever come across a player who has had such like a such a visceral reaction to stress. Um, not such an extreme one, no, but um, I think it can happen. I've heard of it happen. I think, even think Marcus Rashford commented, didn't he, that yep. the same thing had happened to him. In a, and I don't think it necessarily means it's when you're under the most stress because obviously, you know, he's played in bigger matches than the England under-16s match at Upton Park. And it's where he said it had happened to him. And, you know, she probably faced, she faced much more bigger uh, pressure points than the one that she was at when, when it happened. Um, I think it's just one of those things that happens. I don't read too much into it. She'll be fine. You know, I'm pretty certain everything I know about Emma Raducanu is that mentally she's very, very solid, mm. um, which, you know, cracked me up a bit of, we all know the idiot who we're talking about, uh, who's prominent in the media, uh, who made the comment. But, and I also think that the weird thing was that I, th- I think McEnroe was taken a, a fair bit out of context as well in what yeah. he said. Um, I think that people tried to make out what he said was a lot worse than what it was. But I think he just sort of raised, is it this? He didn't say this is what's happened. Um, but yeah, there's that. she should be fine. I'm not even remotely concerned on that front. Yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to say, the McEnroe thing, like, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, I mean, he's paid to sit there and give an opinion. And, and to be honest, like, his opinion was pretty close to being the reality. And mm-hmm. he kind of came out and said the same, you know. I suppose at that stage we were all speculating, but if anyone's going to understand sport is someone who's played it to a really high level and can, he's paid to give that judgment, isn't he? I mean, I suppose for, I always would prefer in that situation just at least one line be like, oh, I hope she's all right, first of all, but just, you know, just in case it is something different and worse or whatever. But no, that's his opinion. He, he was kind of on the money in the end. So, yeah. Yeah, I also think as well, it's somebody, anyone who sort of read a fair bit about McEnroe in his early days, the same similar age to Radicanu, he had some sort of issues himself as well. So he's not sort of saying this is, which was a sort of suggestion, I think, from Piers Morgan that players like McEnroe wouldn't do this. Yeah. Like McEnroe had some pretty, a, a fair bit of self doubt and concerns and that kind of thing around him. So it's just a bit of nonsense, really. Yeah, I mean, Morgan was like desperately trying to crowbar like Boris Becker winning Wimbledon at 17. And it's like, well, even at that stage, Becker had been to like a couple of Grand Slam quarterfinals, I think. He yeah. was like pretty hardened on the tour. Like, even if you compare Goff to Raducanu, Goff's been brought up to be a star her whole life. She's been told since she's 10, you're going to be a real star in this game. You're winning everything. She's going to tours. She's kind of used to that pressure. Um, Raducanu. Okay, I've heard all the time she's going to be good, but she's not been going to big events and hearing people say that all the time. Like, So I think this was definitely quite a big new situation for her. But I'm with Calvin. I mean, the, the things I saw in this tournament have further convinced me that what people have been saying for years about her and what she could achieve is, is totally accurate. And what a time for it to happen when we're looking at Murray hobble out on the Saturday and the same day, this, you know, is it the same day or was the day before? I can't remember. But, you know, what timing to kind of have her burst onto the scene just as the guy who's been carrying this sport in Britain is unfortunately uh, on the way out. Mm. She's up to um, just short of 170 in the world now, uh, having been 338 two weeks ago. It's quite a, a jump. What, what does that mean for her kind of career now, Calvin? What, what does her kind of 
next six months, year look like in terms of what she does now? I think, if anything, it's just brought her onto an equilibrium of where she really should be. That is a true ranking. Right. Uh, but f- what through, I guess, through pandemic a little bit, and she's had a few injuries, so hasn't probably hasn't competed as much as she would have done or as much as her, her coaches and maybe her people who help her at the LTA would have hoped that she would, say, two years ago. But I think what the what the sort of the blueprint would have been would maybe have to have her around about 159 in the world in July 2021. So right. it's kind of just it's kind of just helped out on that. It's just brought her where she should be more so than than what she would have if she hadn't had that run. And how much do we expect her to now be a regular a regular winning one or two matches at Grand Slams? Is she there already, or is this a freak? Um, the problem has been um, physically in that she tends to pick up injuries and that kind of thing. So I, I don't know is, is my answer. I imagine she probably will play the US Open. And the women's game is difficult because there's there's almost no difference in terms of in results show this all the time at the slams. There's almost no difference between somebody ranked 200 and somebody ranked 70 probably. Yeah. So she could easily play somebody in qualies who's ranked 200 and you still wouldn't make a favourite in that or, or big favourite. You'd still be a 50-50 match. But equally, she could get somebody who's ranked 81 and beat them. So it, it's difficult to tell regards where that is on on that. But I'd, yeah, she could win the odd match. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think the, the good thing about her rankings boost right now is also... Um, the advantage she'll gain from kind of the Olympics going on at the same time, like that massively increases her chances of getting into the tournaments that are kind of running on there, even if it's not necessarily the greatest uptake, it's a good chance she can get into qualifying into a lot of other kind of tour events. Um, so that that's kind of quite encouraging. And, you know, it only takes another really good tour run, which she's capable of. I'm not saying it'll necessarily happen, but if that did happen, you know, she could easily be top 100 pretty soon. It's not not that big a jump if she just had a good week at a tour level rather than that kind of rung below. So, yeah. And we talk about ceilings a lot on this show. Um, I mean, I know it's really hard. It was someone who's really just made her senior breakthrough. But Calvin, what what do you see as her ceiling if you had to? Um, I think she'll probably end up having a similar career to maybe a similar career to Heather Watson. Right, probably. Um, around. I mean, that's that. that's with the greatest respect, not great. I mean, Heather's been at forty-one in the world. I should like forty. I think. I think. I think Sorry, she's been higher than that. I think even even possibly yeah. better. It's difficult to tell though because I always say the same, and it feels like a bit of a cop out. But if you can make top fifty, you can make top forty. If you can make top forty, you can make top thirty, etc., etc. And I think Emma's like that. I. I don't think she's one of the very... I don't see her being a top 10 player, if I'm honest. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if we see her at 20 in the world. You're you're actually the first person I've spoken to in British tennis who's not kind of almost shook me being like, she's 100% going to be top 10. So it's quite interesting hearing your, uh, you know... Well, on it. I mean, 2018, I saw... And, and don't get me wrong, she was younger and it, it, you don't want to read too much into this, but... She played Svontek at Junior Wimbledon and got absolutely destroyed. Mm. Um, and 
Svontex struck me there. Svontex a star, as I've said on this podcast a few yeah. times. So she's not Svontek, and Svontek's only eight in the world. You know, let's and, and you know we're looking at you know it's as we said last week, eighteen isn't remarkably young for a tennis player. Although I do think there's no pathway for this kind of thing. There's context and situation change and that kind of thing. But Svontek's only nineteen. Is she? Is she still nineteen? Yeah. Coco Goff's seventeen. Andrescu's what twenty? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it's we're talking about someone who's eighteen and ranked one eighty, and then there's girls around her age who are ranked in the top fifteen already. So the the encouragement from Andrescu, you'd say, is that Andrescu was also one hundred and fifty at eighteen, and she got to four that year. Like these breakthroughs can. She's not going to be four this year. (laughs) No. I know well, what you mean. I know what you mean, yeah. No, but she got to four in that same year, didn't she, when she won the US Open? And she started it outside the top 150. So it's, yeah. it's possible. I, I rare, think rare, but possible, possible is all I'm saying. If, if you're, I'm not saying that she can't, but if you're telling me that people in British tennis think that she's nailed on top 10, then they've got their head in the clouds a little bit as to, as they often tend to do, about levels and standards. Mm. It's really interesting because, I mean, like, we, we were all a bit taken aback. We, we had like a, a group chat with Nigel Sears, uh, who's her coach, and he's obviously worked with a few top 10 players in, um, in kind of Anna Ivanovic and Daniela Hanchakova and was recently with Pontevite. Um, so, you know, you'd imagine he has a decent grasp of, of what the kind of level is to get up there. And, and you're kind of expecting when these people come in for them to say, you know, anything's possible for Emma, but it's no guarantee and she's going to have to put all the work in. But he kind of just came in and was like, she's as good as they are, comfortably. <laughs> like, she, you know, Ivanovic is a slam winner and former world number one. And, you know, and it, it wasn't just Sia saying this, but he's, you know, obviously the public example in terms of it was run, but even like Kiyothavon came in, said, I think she'll, there's no limit. She can be top 10. No one was like playing it down. It, it was kind of quite interesting to me compared to normal attitudes like i still think people would say about draper for example who, who could have a really good career as well people would still say what you've just said you know top 50 see where you go from there but for her it seems like a big shift and i don't know if it's just because she's run to fourth round of wimbledon that's made them suddenly kind of see the lights and go a bit mad but it, it is interesting the kind of change in vibe i think i mean there's a couple of things i'll say on that is that nigel sears is not actually the coach yet he's still trying to get that gig <laughs> her dad is quite um difficult from what i understand <laughs> so uh, i'll say no more on that subject um and then Dra- you know it's draper's funny one because like i said to somebody like f- a few months ago that i thought draper could somebody asked me about draper i said i think he could definitely be top 50 and then the person who said, who I was telling to said, well, I know his agent would be disappointed with top 50. So mm-hmm. he, I think it just works in, you know, and then three weeks ago when he was playing at Queens, every, you know, people would be saying that, that Jack was going top 10 in the world, wouldn't they? But he I, might I, I was just going to ask that question. If, if you were sitting here right now, who, who's the higher ranked player, but who gets the highest ranking? Uh, I think they both could be top 20. I think they both could be top 20 players. Um, and then you'd never know from there. This is not me saying I don't think that, this is definitely not me saying I don't think they could go any higher, but you have, 
you you see players who you think are certainties. They're definitely certainties. Like Svontek was one when I saw Svontek was a certainty. Murray was a certainty. But then there's others who are not certainties, but they, they, they're definite could-bes to go higher, to go top 10. And I'd say that both of those fall in the top. Though neither of them are certainties. I think if anyone's saying they're certainties, that they don't know the standard. <laughs> I mean, it, it's really funny that this, you can look at it in British terms, can't you? Because like, we, we've kind of said for quite a long time, Cam, I don't think he's a top 30 player, but he, he is that now, comfortably. Dan, I wasn't sure he'd ever make top 30. He's been that for the last year. Kyle's been pretty close to top 10. I would never have said Kyle's a top 10 player, really. Joe was well number four. And, you know, that seems kind of crazy when you've looked at her career kind of stepping back from it and the moment she's had and how late it took for her to come. So it is a bit of a fool's game, I suppose, yeah. trying to say where they're going to get to. But judging on that cluster of players kind of getting to where they are, I wouldn't have said at 18 about any of them they could do what Redicano does. So perhaps that's just where we've all got our kind of I'll, I'll say I'm not I'm absolutely again I'm absolutely not trying to downplay anything but Radicano had a pretty nice draw as well like yeah. she didn't beat a seed didn't have to play a seed she um, beat over she was seeded beat who sorry Mondrasova she was what 20th was she seeded oh one of the lower ones was it yeah was she seeded she was seeded I think I thought somebody told me she wasn't seeded um but sure, I thought she was like the 20th okay she was not seeded oh. yeah um what's she then at the minute like 30 is she out the top 40 again? I guess she just lost her French Open points. 39 in the world, yeah. Oh, God, that was a good pick out of my head. It, yeah, it, but <laughs> like I say, I, I, these things tend to come back to haunt me when I say them, but like, I, I'm not saying that she won't be top 10. I'm saying that I don't think it's a nailed on certainty um, that she's going to be. Well, it's, it's not quite the most outrageous claim I've ever read. Was it Sue Barker who said she thought Coco would go past Serena already? I mean, we... uh, yeah, yeah, 25 slams, wasn't it? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a bit punchy. Um, the, the, there's a couple of other names on my list. Uh, Roger Federer, Serena Williams and Andy Murray. Uh, there's not a non uh, There's not an inconsiderable chance we've seen them all play at Wimbledon for the last time. Uh, we'll, have, we'll do one word answers and then we can talk about it a little bit more widely. How many of those three will be play Wimbledon next year? George, go first. It could genuinely be zero to three. I'm yeah. going to go very on the fence and say two. Calvin? Um, it's a weird one with Federer, I think, isn't it? Because... I thought, well, my initial thought when he went off, I thought this is not his last one because I thought he'd have made more of a, a thing of it. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember him saying also, I don't know whether he said it or somebody told me that he'd said it to them, that um, when he goes, he'll just go. There'll be no there'll be no sort of farewell tour and that kind of thing. He'll just decide it's done. Um, Murray will see back next year. Serena yeah. will be back next year as well. I, I think it'll be one. I think it'll only be Murray. I, I have a, a significant hunch on Serena, um, but that may yet turn out to be. I, I'm kind of in the one to two category. I think Serena's the other one who's coming back if she can, but I wouldn't. I'm I'm actually pretty worried about her that her body's going to completely let her down now. Like yeah. I think every single tournament she's playing now, there's an injury. She turns up injured. But that's that's the real thing for me. Is like yeah. she doesn't turn up fit. Yeah. Just the training to get fit for a Grand Slam injures her. 
and you speak to you know I've spoken to Morris Hoglu loads of times before but you know I chatted to him before this tournament and you can kind of just gauge from him even though what he's saying is Serena can beat anyone she's more ready to rules the French Open but he's always saying her priorities have changed she's not been ready her game's still there but it, it is kind of saying she's not putting in the work to do this and the injuries are kind of showing that and you know I don't want to say you know Serena's putting in no effort or whatever I'm sure that's not true but but it's true isn't it her life's completely changed um, in the last couple of years Federer is such a strange one, though, because you can. So everyone goes like they, they look at it last week. A few people said it to me who are not big tennis lovers. They go like, "Oh, he's done now, isn't he? He's done. You can see he's done." It's been quarterfinals of Wimbledon, right? After like quarterfinals, after basically a year out and doing yeah. nothing, and yeah, he didn't. You know, he didn't beat anybody you wouldn't thought thought he'd beat, but still made anybody anybody who makes quarterfinals of Wimbledon is not playing bad tennis. Yeah, I was just saying. I mean, we. We talk about kind draws. I mean, his his was an absolute gimme of a draw. And Hercat yeah. as a first time court finalist, you know, that was hard to see him losing that match and then to lose it how he did. My my other kind of feeling on it, which is totally bluster rather than anything based in substance, is I don't think he he'll want that to be his last Wimbledon match. <laughs> like I'm pretty yeah. sure he can get there. Not leaving on being bageled will be quite a high on his list of priorities. But then again, I think George, I think what he's he's sort of saying all the time is he doesn't know if he can compete. And I don't think if we if he if he feels that he's going to come back and think, well, next year I could come back and I might be able to beat yeah. I don't know Manorino or whoever. But then I'm going to play one of the top sixteen guys in the world, and they've Felix duffed him yeah. uh, after winning a set, and it's like it probably is going to end that way, isn't it? one way or another again I think for him this is kind of the unknown isn't it because he's not had actually the matches coming into this tournament like he's played not many matches has he got the match fitness the match sharpness back yet don't know I, I, I yeah he's the one I would say is least likely although I would also say I, I'm yeah Serena I just think might have to stop I think She's just getting injured too often now, and I don't see how she can compete. But Murray, Murray will be there. He's he was very downtrodden for a little minute, but oh, I'd be surprised if he if he wasn't. He'll be there on one leg. I'm yeah. sure of it. Um, the only thing that remains is for say to congratulate our two winners, our joint winners of Fantasy Wimbledon, uh, Maggie Bad Bounce uh, and uh, Velstels. Um, they tied on 44 points. Uh, the big stars in their team, Marton Fuksovic, Maggie Had, very good scorer. Uh, Dennis Kudler as well, loads of points from him. Um, Velstels, I can't remember who picked up most points. Well, I mean, having Berrettini, he was, he was a big scorer. Um, he picked both champions as well, which always helps. And Angelique Kerber, uh, which I don't think anyone saw coming. So that, I think, is all of our housekeeping, although inevitably George has something. I was just going to say, you probably want to lord over me that you both beat me, and I'm not sure who actually won out of you guys in the end. Oh, I battered you both. Yeah, I was. Uh, you I ended up in the Calvin top. James. That's your first one, right? Yeah, I think, yeah, Cal- yeah. I think Calvin. Had, uh, Calvin was on for the calendar slam, wasn't he? Before yeah? <laughs> <laughs> quite an upset. Berrettini's <laughs> come in. I just whacked yeah, a ball yeah. at the uh, lines woman when, when I'm on for, <laughs> for This was the hardest one, though, wasn't it? I mean, just as a quick. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was tough. Uh, tough I didn't indeed. feel confident at all. 
and no. it proved. Yeah. Um, that's all we've got time for this week. I've got to try and drag myself to a comedy gig. Uh, we'll be back next week, uh, I guess, talking about hardcore tennis. See you then. <laughs>